Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. Uh, good stuff. Well, I do get a sense, I was thinking about this in, in preparation for the message because what we see in Acts is an extraordinary church. But I was thinking how I think sometimes today I feel like the church can have a bit of a, an inferiority complex. That maybe we get the sense the world has thrust us to the side and, and that we really don't count it in the world at large. That the United Nations, you know, they're not calling on the church for advice, for solutions to its problems, not regularly anyway. How political leaders often don't depend on leaders in the church for their guidance, you know. We could get the impression that we're on the margin of influence and maybe we pity ourselves, but then the challenge is, is if that's the stance we take, then what we spend our time doing is, is just working to justify our existence. And if we're not careful, our main concern can simply be that of self-preservation. So that was what I was thinking about this morning, but what I want to do today is I would love for us to remember who we are this morning. Or the church. And the church is God's program for the world. From the perspective of eternity, the mission of the church is more important than the march of armies or the actions of the world's capitals. Because it's in the accomplishment of God's mission that the divine purpose for human history is accomplished. Like it's done. So I hope you are grateful to be a part of the church. Because to us, has been committed the most meaningful and worthwhile task of any human institution. This task, it gives our lives eternal significance because we're sharing in God's plan for the ages. The very meaning and destiny of history, it rests in your hands. I think we forget that. History rests in your hands, the destiny of it. So our opportunity and our role in the church, it is incredibly important. I hope you understand that. But if we know that, then the question is, well, how do we join God in this incredibly meaningful and eternal work? So last week, we finished our series on a great awakening, which concluded with us talking about how we plan to join God's work here in the greater Lafayette area. And today we're going to see in scripture almost everything we talked about the past six weeks. So I love that we're finishing great awakening, but jumping into Acts, because we're going to see it in scripture today. So if you have your Bibles hey, I hope you've got God's word with you today. Uh, we say that because we want you daily in God's word. If you're new to Connection Point Church and uh, uh, you're joining us this morning, we've got Bibles underneath the, the chair in front of you. You're welcome to read from that. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, and I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word as we get into the first uh, 12 verses of this chapter today, the first 11. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And here's what Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we're going to spend the next several weeks getting into Acts to help us see the church was made for movement. We want to better understand our role on the earth and how God can use you and me to change the very landscape of the greater Lafayette area in the world. You need to understand that this morning. I want us to see how we can be a part of God's life-changing kingdom movement. And our passage this morning shows us how. What we find this morning is that we can be a part of God's kingdom movement by continuing the work Jesus began to do and teach. That's really where it starts. We can be a part of God's kingdom movement this way. So the New Testament book of Acts, it opens with a reference to a first book. Uh, The first book being referred to is the book we call Luke. And if you've been here for a couple of years and you don't know what that book is, I'm in trouble. (laughs) These two volumes, they comprise approximately one quarter of the New Testament. Luke and Acts together are one quarter of the New Testament. I don't know if you know that. So that would make Luke, Acts together the largest New Testament book that we have because they really would not have been separated. They were carried on together. And here's the opening lines that we had from Luke. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. So this is how Luke started which also gives us an indication as to what Luke is going to do as he continues with Acts. So Luke, the Holy Spirit-inspired author of this twin-volume set, he was commissioned by someone named Theophilus to write about Jesus and his followers. Theophilus had questions about the Christian faith, and he trusted Luke to find the answers through eyewitness accounts. So Luke, a, a medical doctor, a respected historian, he interviewed eyewitnesses of all the events that we have listed in Luke and Acts to give Theophilus certainty about the Christian faith. I love that. If you are uncertain about the Christian faith, may I encourage you, read and reread Luke. It was written for that purpose. This New Testament book is written for those with questions. But then what we find is it carries over into the book of Acts. Now, Acts was given the label in the second century, the Acts of the Apostles. So that's oftentimes maybe listed that way in your Bible. It was the recorded Acts of the early disciples of Jesus. But what's interesting to me is a lot of commentators has actually labeled this twin volume set the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because that's what we see. That what we find in Luke is the Acts of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus, the Messiah. And then in Acts, we see the works of the Holy Spirit through the early church. That's really what combines or or ties these two books together. What we have recorded in Luke and Acts is a narrative of how the Holy Spirit works through Jesus and then the early church. Again, I had mentioned in the last two weeks that Jesus did what he did because of Holy Spirit empowerment, spiritual disciplines, and spiritual gifts. And so that should encourage us because we have that same Holy Spirit available to us today. 
So what we read about in Luke and Acts is a description of normal Christianity. I might say that a few times. Acts is normal Christianity. I want us to understand that. It's normal as people obediently follow God and fully surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. So there's conditions by which it's normal activity. And what's the work that the church does? What we find in that first couple of verses is they continue to do what Jesus began to do and teach. Notice that Luke does not write, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus finished doing and teaching. He doesn't say that. Luke wrote down what Jesus began to do and teach. And in Acts, what we find is that Jesus continues to do and teach now by his spirit and his followers. I love that. And what was the mission of Jesus? What did he ask his followers to do? What did he come to do? And what do we then engage in? He came, it says, to set the captives free. We talked about this with the message on the gospel a couple of weeks ago. And how did Jesus share the gospel? From our passage, it says, by doing and teaching. It's both. Sometimes people want to emphasize one or the other. Jesus was always doing both. What was his work? He was healing people. He was eating with people. As you go through Luke, take a look at what Jesus did. That was his work. Go through Luke and see what Jesus taught and commanded. Those are his words. So we're to continue the work and the words of Jesus. This is why it's so important to me that we spend time to really understand who Jesus was, what he did, what he taught, what he commanded. Because it's hard to continue the work and words of Jesus if you don't know him, right? So we want to know those things well. Because living like Jesus is fulfilling his mission. So how are we doing continuing with the work and words of Jesus? That's a question you could ask yourself this morning. It would do well for us to know what those are. So maybe a good starting point for you, if you really haven't considered that, is just jump back in Luke. Work through Luke and see what you can find. What is Jesus doing and what is he saying? Study those things. Because we need to know what they are if we plan to continue to do and to teach. And why is this important? Because we can be a part of God's kingdom movement by continuing the work Jesus began to do. We can also be a part of God's kingdom movement by understanding what the kingdom of God is. We can be a part of God's kingdom movement by understanding what the kingdom of God is. So now, if I were to ask you to tell me in one word or in a phrase something that would capture the essence of the teaching and ministry of Jesus, what would you say? What's something that everything would fit into? You ever thought about that? What do you think? What are, what, what, what are some answers you have this morning? Love. Love. That's a big one. Okay, reconciliation. Anything else? Authority. Authority. He does talk about those things. Anything else? Power. Power. Okay, that's tied into that as well with authority. Uh, sometimes I've gotten the answer of forgiveness. Really, those are all good answers. But what we find, as Luke writes that Jesus appeared to the disciples for 40 days, what was he teaching them about? The kingdom of God. If you want to summarize all of the work of Jesus, it's kingdom of God. So if that's the case, again, just as it's important for us to know the doing, the work and words of Jesus, it's also very important that we know what the kingdom of God is. Do we know what that is? Because the kingdom of God is the summary of the teaching and ministry of Jesus. Jesus describes who the kingdom belongs to in Matthew chapter 5. He says the kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit and to the persecuted. And then what we also find is Jesus teaching what living in the kingdom looks like in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and really all throughout the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
We find in Matthew chapter 9 that Jesus went everywhere teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. If you start to recognize that that's the summary of the work and words of Jesus, you'll see it everywhere. You really will. So start paying attention to that as you go back through the New Testament. Ultimately, the work and words of Jesus were all about the kingdom of God. They really were. So then the question is, well, what is the kingdom of God? And that's a great question because we need to know what it is. Very simply, to give you a very short answer, the kingdom of God is where God rules and reigns. That's the easiest definition I could give you. Kingdom of God is where God rules and reigns. But it's also important to understand that God's kingdom came in Jesus, God's kingdom is coming through his followers, and God's kingdom will fully come when Jesus comes again. It's important we understand the difference between those things. The kingdom is a present reality and it's a future blessing. Now to help us understand this, I like to use an example from history to help us understand, well, how do I really wrap my mind around that, that the kingdom came, is coming, and will come? I like to use an example from World War II because most people are familiar with D-Day, the day that Allied forces landed on the beaches of Normandy to liberate Western Europe from Nazi Germany's control on June 6, 1944. Most of you are familiar with that day. But what we also know is D-Day was not the end of the war, right? But it was the day the beginning of the end of the war in Europe happened. Most historians would recognize that. Although there were many important battles in the war, most historians would agree that D-Day was the turning point in the war. At this point, Hitler knew his days were numbered. So he began to turn his attention away from the front, speed up the killing of people in concentration camps. You can look at this in history. And he began to actually retreat. Hitler knew at this point he'd lost the war, even though he had not surrendered or been captured yet. But he knew it was only a matter of time before he was finally defeated. So that's D-Day. Victory was not fully realized until almost a year later on May 8th, 1945. This is the actual VE, Victory in Europe Day. So a little bit of history for you. And this day happened, Victory in Europe Day, because of what happened on D-Day. Now, what does this have to do with the kingdom of God? Let me explain. At the cross, Satan had a D-Day. He was in fact defeated. Satan is a defeated foe. His days are numbered. He knows this and he's on retreat. And in this retreat, this age still exists. But there was something that happened on the cross where there is a beginning to the end of this evil age. But in the meantime, Satan is trying to wreak havoc on this earth. He prowls about like a roaring lion seeking people to devour because he knows he's a defeated foe and he knows his days are numbered. But we, those who have been liberated by Jesus, anticipate a day in the consummation of all things that there will be a V-day, a victory day, where what began on the cross will be fully realized in the second coming of Jesus. Sin, death, and the devil will be completely defeated. This is why the second coming of Jesus is often referred to as our blessed hope. George Eldon Ladd, he writes in his book to summarize, in the gospel of the kingdom, he writes, this is the good news of the kingdom. Christ has wrested authority from Satan. The kingdom of God has attacked the kingdom of Satan. This evil age has been assaulted by the age to come in the person of Christ. All authority is now his. He will not display this authority in its final glorious victory until he comes again, but the authority is now his. Satan is defeated and bound. Death is conquered. Sin is broken. All authority is his. Go ye therefore, Jesus says. Where? Because all authority, all power is his. And because he is waiting until we have finished our task. His is the kingdom. 
He reigns in heaven and he manifests his reign on earth in and through his church. That's us. That's why I said we should not have an inferiority complex. You matter so much in this world today. When we have accomplished our mission, he will return and establish his kingdom and glory. To us it is given not only to wait for, but to also hasten the coming of the day of our God. This is the mission of the gospel of the kingdom. This is our mission. And this is what Jesus shared with the disciples after his resurrection. It says he's talking about the kingdom of God. This is what that is. It became their marching orders upon his ascension. They knew what they were supposed to do. I would say this, if you want to better understand what the kingdom of God is, so George Eldon Ladd's book, he's an old dead guy now. It's 150 pages. If you want to read the gospel of the kingdom, it's a pretty easy read. Uh, In fact, the article I'll put out next week, so we put out weekly articles, it's going to summarize what the kingdom of God is because it's really important we understand what it is and why we have something to accomplish here. And why does this matter? Because we can be a part of God's kingdom movement by understanding what the kingdom of God is. And we can be a part of God's kingdom movement by being baptized with the Holy Spirit. We can be a part of God's kingdom movement by being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So we already talked about how Jesus would continue the work he began through his followers, through the church. And this is accomplished by his spirit in his followers. Jesus instructed the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they receive the promise of Holy Spirit baptism. And in a couple of weeks, we will see that's what the disciples do. They wait and they receive the promise of Holy Spirit baptism. And we'll also see this is the pattern that continues all throughout the book of Acts. Here's what we'll find in Acts chapter 8. I want to give you a preview so you understand what we're sharing here. This is normative activity. Acts chapter 8. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news. So again, they said they would go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Philip right here in Acts chapter 8. He's in Samaria. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. This is water baptism. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were saved, baptized in water, and then we see some apostles come and pray that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So we see that, Acts chapter 8. So from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now let's jump ahead to Acts chapter 10. We're going to find the same thing. While Peter was still saying these things. So Peter is now in Cornelius' household, who's a Gentile. So the Spirit was moving among Jews, and now the Spirit's going to move among Gentiles. He says the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extol or praise God. That's Acts 10. Jump to Acts chapter 19. I just want you to see this is normative behavior for the church. Acts 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, now we're going to the ends of the earth. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. That's the doorway into the kingdom. Telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. 
On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So these guys, they're saved, baptism of repentance. Now they're baptized in water. And then what happens? And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Holy Spirit baptism is normative Christian behavior. And we cannot accomplish the mission without it. That is where the Assemblies of God came from. The church understood, early 1900s, we cannot fulfill the mission. Why are we failing? Because we're not empowered. So they spot, sought Holy Spirit empowerment. Now, I mentioned last week on Sunday, March 22nd, Dr. Doug Ose will be here to talk about just Holy Spirit baptism. He was with us last February for a Naturally Supernatural event, and I know he'll do a wonderful job of explaining the value of Holy Spirit empowerment for every believer today. So I encourage you, be here on that Sunday. It'll be a great morning together, because we all need to not only be filled, but refilled, we find in Scripture. So Holy Spirit, lead us. We need Holy Spirit baptism. Why? Because we can be a part of God's kingdom movement by being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And we can be a part of God's kingdom movement by realizing the church was made for movement. The church was made for movement. It always was. Why did Jesus want the disciples to wait in Jerusalem? In order to receive the promise of Holy Spirit baptism. And what is baptism for? The power to be his witnesses. And what kind of witnesses? Those who share good news near and far. What we find in Acts 1.8 is the plan of the rest of the book of Acts. We find them in Jerusalem, going to Judea, going to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the church wasn't meant to ever stop moving. It was always meant to continue moving. And if you look at church history, it did well at that sometimes, and sometimes we struggle a bit with that. I want to share with you a chart that shows uh, church planting in uh, America from its inception. So you take a look at the, the front end. We started a church planting. We kind of have some cycles, but in the end, we're pretty high up there. And then we have a dip. Anybody have an idea of what that initial dip is? Take a guess. Oh, somebody said it. Civil war. Somebody's, people know history here. This is good. Civil war. So civil war, not much church planting happening. But then we jump back up. We continue planting churches. And then we take a little bit of a dip again. What do we, what do we find in this middle lull? What do you think? World wars, World War I and II. So anytime there's a, a, a thing that basically turns our attention elsewhere, wars, world wars in particular, we take a dip. But here's what we find. Then we take this dip. Uh, so we, we kind of basically what we do is we church planning, civil war, we recover, church planning, world wars. We kind of recover a little bit. But then we take another dip. Anybody have a guess on that one? The 60s. It is in the 1960s. And here's what happened in the 1960s. The church stopped planting churches, but because of transportation readily available to people, they started growing churches. That was actually the church growth movement, to say instead of continuing to multiply, why don't we just grow what we have? And church planting has never recovered. Ladies and gentlemen, the reason the church in America is on decline is because we stopped moving. If we want to get back to being the church that God has called us to be, we've got to be willing to multiply. What happened is we set up social clubs instead of training centers, and it has cost us the ability to participate in the very mission of God. The church was made for movement. And this is why we're committing to equipping you to be light to your neighborhood and workplace. This is why we're sending out teams of people to reach those with limited access to gospel in our area. I want you to hear me. Please hear me on this. We will continue to reach people on the corner of 231 and Cumberland Avenue. And I truly believe we'll continue to see Sunday morning church attendance grow as we have the last four years that we've been here. I actually don't think that that's going to cease. 
but I also believe it will if we're not intentional about sending people out as fast as we're receiving them. We've got to equip people and send them out. Why? Because the church was made for movement. It was made to advance on enemy territory, to bring light to dark places. It's what we're made for, folks. It's what we're designed for. A very simple way to begin to move, I would encourage you this morning as a church, is simply to begin to pray. I shared last week the foundation for kingdom movements is prayer. So here's my encouragement. If you want to be a church on the move and be a part of a church on the move, just start praying for your neighbors and work colleagues. See what God begins to do in their lives. See what open doors he begins to provide for you to live on mission in their lives. He'll do it. Because we can be a part of God's kingdom movement by realizing the church was made for movement. And we can be a part of God's kingdom movement by living for the day when Jesus will come again. We're a part of God's kingdom movement by living for the day that Jesus will come again. Again, that's victory day. I already shared. There's going to be a V-day, a victory day, where what began on the cross will be fully realized in the second coming of Jesus. Sin, death, and the devil will be completely defeated. The second coming of Jesus, it's essential for the fulfillment and consummation of God's redemptive work. So how are we to live in anticipation of that day? I'm actually just going to list a couple of things, and there's a lot of scriptures tied here. It's on your version. Take pictures of slides if you want, because I'm just going to read through them. I'm not going to unpack every scripture, but I want you to see there is a lot in scripture that says that we're to live for this day where Jesus comes again. First thing is, we're to live awake and alert, ready and prepared. He calls us to this. You can see all the scriptures there that that refer to that. What else are we to do? We're to live on guard against increasing lies. This is why it's so important to activate spiritual gifts because that's what we find in scripture is the way that we do that. The world's gonna be the world, but we've gotta be the church. What else are we to be? We're to be wise. And you know what wisdom is? To have a God-listening heart. Do we have a God-listening heart? How do we have God-listening hearts? Prayer, fasting, spending time in worship and engaging. What else are we to do? We're to live holy lives. How do we live holy lives? By asking the Lord to set us free from those things which bind us. What else are we to be? We're to live as good and faithful servants. To be good. It doesn't say to be great, but can we be good? Good Good-hearted. Faithful. It doesn't say be perfect. Just be faithful. Are we good and faithful? How else are we to live? We're to live constantly sharing good news. That's why we want to equip you for that purpose. We know that's what we should be busy doing. And the last thing is, is we're to earnestly expect Jesus to return. In case you're unaware, Jesus is coming again. So we should live for that day. In your programs this morning, I was thinking about this list and I thought, you know, it might be interesting for you to take as devotional time this week. Take a look at all the scriptures that points to how we should prepare ourselves for the day that Jesus is coming again. But honestly, that list could be a little bit overwhelming. So here's my encouragement to you today. We passed these out last week, which is about joining God's movement. And I would just put this before you today. Feel free to study those passages and you can start to try to align your life that way. But if you're a part of what's happening here at Connection Point Church, I mean like really a part, you're preparing yourself for the day that Jesus comes again. We've made it very simple for you. If you're plugged in saying, I'm going to be a part of God's kingdom movement, you're already doing it. And I would say you're already doing these things because this is how we're positioning ourselves. That's why I shared this message is the summary of the last six weeks because this is what we're going after. We want you to know what the kingdom of God is. We want you to prepare yourself for the day that Jesus is coming again. We want you to be constantly sharing good news because that's what it looks like to prepare ourselves for that day. So my encouragement is just be that one in 500 that says, I want to be a part of what God's doing. I don't want to be on the sidelines. I want to be in the middle of it all because that's God's design for you. My encouragement is simply be a part. Plan on going through the Emotionally Healthy Connect Group series next fall. 
and then simply follow your path of joining God's kingdom movement. If you need more explanation, if you weren't here last week, just go back and listen to last Sunday's message. I, I explain that in full. But here's the encouragement this morning. You can, I can, we can be a part of God's kingdom movement. You need to hear that today. You can be a part of God's kingdom. And I would say this, he means for you to be a part. His plan is for you to be a part. There's something missing if you're not a part. So let's be a part of God's kingdom movement because you're invited. I shared at the end of, uh, during communion time, I love the next couple of verses that follow these. That from our passage this morning, what we find is, is that the disciples, they watch Jesus go, but then they're just standing. Like, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> what are we supposed to do now? <laughs> and so some angels come and they say, go to Jerusalem. He's going to come back in the same way. That's why we covered those verses on what are we supposed to do? Be part of God's kingdom movement. Ready ourselves for that day. So he's coming again, but in the meantime, we've got some things to do. Some wonderful things to do. Some incredible life-meaning work to do. And so once they realized that, they went back, and here's what verse 14 says. They agreed they were in this for good. I love that this is their response. So they go down. Jesus has just left the building. I don't know about you, but if I've been walking with Jesus, the Son of God, for three years, I'd be disappointed too. But what do they say? They agreed they were in this for good, completely together in prayer, the women included. I love that they added that. And if you read the detail in that verse, it also says, and, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his siblings. Because what they're saying is, is everyone agreed together, we're in this for good. Men and women, friends and family, young and old, everyone. They said, no matter what's come before, whatever issues I had or lack of faith that, that I had expressed before, that's it. I'm in this for good. And I believe this is a description of a church on the move. Where everyone says, I'm in this for good. Completely together in prayer. I'm going to forget about what has gone behind us. Even those challenges that I had with Jesus in the past. And now we're just going to move forward. So I would put before you this morning. Can you say that? Can you say, I'm in this for good. I'm together with you in prayer. Every one of us. Can you say that this morning? Can you make that statement? Are you all in? Shelly and I would love for you to be. We are. Our church leadership is all in. But guess what? We can't decide that for you. You have to make that decision yourself. I can tell you right now, God is doing wonderful things through this church. I wish I could just take time and just share all the testimonies. Like we went to prayer this morning and there were so many celebrations it took us a while to get to prayer. God is doing wonderful things through this church and he's going to do great things through this church in our community. I firmly believe it. And you're invited to be a part so think about it. What kind of difference could be made in the greater Lafayette area if a body of believers truly dedicated themselves to God, to each other, and the lost? What could that look like? God's on the move in our area. Are we joining him in that? What kind of work could God do in our lives if we pursued him together in prayer and worship? Because he wants to do that first. He wants to do a work in us so that we've got good news to share. I don't know what that work's going to be, but I do look forward to finding out, and I hope you do too. I want to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. as you're standing, I don't know where you're at with, with Jesus today. Maybe you realize you're not in a saving relationship with the King of Kings. But today you'd like to be. Because that's the entry point. You want to be a part of God's kingdom movement, you've got to be with Jesus. You've got to link arms with him. But today you'd say, you know what? I haven't been following Jesus, but today is my day. I want to jump in and be a part of God's kingdom movement. Why? Because the church is the most important human institution in the world today. History rests in your hands. What are we going to do with it? 
So if you're here today and you say, I want to follow Jesus and commit my life to him. With every head bowed, just want to give you an opportunity to respond by raising your hand. I'll pray with you before we leave. Best decision you can make in your life is one to follow Jesus. Commit your life to him. Because it starts from now and goes all the way through eternity. Who here today would say, that's me. I want to follow Jesus today. Commit my life to him. In the middle. Anybody else that would say, that's me. I want to follow Jesus. I'll commit my life to him today. Over here on the right, anybody else that would say, that's me. I want to follow Jesus and commit my life to him. Enter into his kingdom. Into his rule and reign. Jesus, I just pray for those that raise their hands this morning. I pray for those, Lord, that you're working on their hearts. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would commit our lives to you. Commit our lives to your kingdom work. Lord, I pray that you would lead us into the good works that you've already prepared for us. Each and every one. I pray for those that raise their hands today that are now entering into the good works you've prepared for them. So, Jesus, I pray they'd be steadfast. Lord, I pray against the enemy, his works and their effects. Lord, I know that the enemy comes against those decisions to follow you. Why? Because he knows he's lost. So he is on the prowl. But Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have all authority. And so Jesus, we just commit these lives to you today. They are yours. And God, we commit ourselves as a body of Christ to do everything we can to link our arms with him and encourage them as they journey with you. Jesus, as we close in song, I pray that we commit this song to you, the King of Kings. Lord, we just thank you for the work that you came to do. And Lord, the work that you have entrusted to our care to continue to do until you come back. So Lord, I pray we'd be faithful. I pray we'd be good and faithful servants, each and every one. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For those that raise their hands, we've got a couple of prayer team members. They'll probably come and just come alongside to say, you know, we'd love to give you information on where you go from here in following Jesus. It's a decision. It starts there. But then it's also a lifestyle. And so we want to help you live that out, that we don't leave you alone in that decision because we grow in Jesus together. So as we close in song, our prayer team may just come and tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, we'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible and information on where you go from here. But for the rest of us, let's close in song today.